I love this time of year. It's a, when we start collecting for the boxes, it's really, it's a, we always kind of wait till mm, probably collection week that we actually take our kids and we go and do that together as a family. And some years, you know, you, you can afford to do a box for each kid. And sometimes you say, hey, look, we're all going to pack one box together. That's understandable. We do what we can do. And you can't do more than you can do. So whatever God puts on your heart to do, that's just, it's wonderful. Uh, I encourage you, uh, pack a box or at least be praying for all the boxes because that's the most important part is prayer. That the, the kids that receive this or are part of this program will receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior. So uh, that'll be wonderful. Um, Today, uh, 1.45, uh, we haven't been announcing it very much from the uh, from here, but have, have Facebook posts and so on. It's, up, it's Life Chain today, um, if you didn't remember. If, if you ever wonder when Life Chain is, uh, it's, the, it's the first Sunday of October every single year. So this year, obviously, today the third. Um, we meet at the courthouse at 1.45 to get our signs and to pray. And if you don't know what it is, it's a national movement um, of a silent, quiet, peaceful protest against abortion in our country um, for, the, for the life of the children. And so we stand there in quiet. Uh, in quiet. Uh, we don't confront. We don't argue. People may want to, or they'll give you the finger, or they'll cuss you out as they drive by, or whatever they do. They do, but we don't respond. We pray. We sing songs to ourselves. Um, but quietly hold your sign and stand for one hour. For, so it's from 2 to 3 o'clock uh, along Main Street. We meet at the Nottoway Courthouse. Not just us, but all the churches that want to be involved will meet there. Again, this is a national movement. This year, we're being covered uh, by Calvary Magazine. And so if anybody has cell phones or something and, and can take some pictures for them, uh, we do our interview on Monday and describe what happened and all. And uh, that'll be in the National Magazine of Calvary Chapel Magazine. So um, that's what's going on today at 145. Also today, prayer. 7 o'clock corporate prayer here in the fellowship hall or in the sanctuary. It's kind of both. <laughs> um, so join us for that. It's an hour long, 7 to 8 o'clock. We pray. Um, and just lift up whatever God puts on our hearts to pray for. And then, of course, Monday night, we've got the question and answer. Wednesday night, we have um, the book of Acts. Friday night, we have Revelation. And then uh, Sundays are supposed to be Job. Mick uh, Miller, on the way in today, and glad you guys are back and survived the plague. Um, but he asked me, he goes, I don't know how you're doing it, but I'm praying for you. Well, here's the confession. Today, I studied Acts 10 for this morning. So I'm, I'm not doing it, actually. I just uh, kind of dropped the ball there. But as we sang the songs and, and all, we are going to do Job chapter 7, verse 8, and just trust the Holy Spirit leads us through these two chapters. And um, I just know that God has that for us. And here's how I know that. And here's how I know that it doesn't matter that I didn't necessarily study these two chapters. Um, I mean, it does. I'll, I'll try not to let it happen again. It isn't something I can just dismiss. But um, it's because... I'm watching our fellowship go through it right now. And a lot of you are going through it, and many of you are going to go through it. Um, um, there's great loss in some people's lives right now, loss of a loved one, and a lot of illness that's going through in different forms, all sorts of different forms, and struggles and trials and and many things. I, too many to describe. Again, it's one of those moments where I'm the hub, and I kind of we hear everything, and you guys don't necessarily hear what's going on in everybody's lives, but I can, I want to tell you, many, 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 many people, more than I've ever seen before in our fellowship, are going through it right now. And so I know that that's not by accident, that as we go through the book of Job, and we watch the suffering that he goes through, and um, the things that are brought upon his life and allowed to come into his life, 
Um, it's only natural that these things sometimes, uh, that he gives us this book to help us get through what's actually going to go through, what we're going to go through in our lives. And so um, for me to say, oops, I studied Acts 10, I guess we're going to skip over there and just do what I studied, I think would do you a disservice because you need to hear Job uh, this morning. And that's what we're going to do and trust that the Lord's going to take us through it. So this morning, Job chapter 7 and 8 is where we are. Job responds to his last, uh, um, he's still responding to his last buddy, Elphaz. Elphaz has joined him in his suffering and come alongside of him, has been quiet for uh, seven days, but decided to chime in and kind of accuse Job of saying, look, you must have done something wrong. These things don't just fall upon people. They don't just spring up from the dirt is what he is, how he likened it um, uh, two week, or a week last yesterday or last week. See, I don't even know what they <laughs> pray for me. And Job responded to that last week. We saw the first half of his response. And what's happening as we look at it from above is we have a lot of people that don't have all the information, even Job. We've got three friends. We've got a a wife, a mother who's grieving the loss of all of her kids. We've got a husband, Job, who's actually the one who is the target, who has the boils covered from head to toe. He's lost all of his children, all of his livelihood, everything he's lost. And he's got his friends who've come alongside to help him try to figure this out. And what we have here, and, and it's, it, I don't mean to be flippant about it, but this is truly the pooling of ignorance is what this is. Four people sitting around in a circle that do not have the advantage or the, uh, the view that God has coming up with conclusions based on very little information. And that gets us into trouble. Now, God lets them continue to talk, lets the, the advisors and his comforters, Job's comforters, continue to say things they shouldn't say, sometimes hitting on things that are accurate, sometimes not accurate. He's going to continue to let Job here in chapters uh well, as we've been going through here in just chapter seven, to continue to come to his own conclusions about why he's going, what he's going through. And it's really hard to not do that when you're going through it. What are you trying to teach me, God? You have my full attention. You know, um, I'm wide awake right now. Is this it or isn't this it? Am I being corrected by you? Am I being tested by you? You know, am I, is this being allowed or are you trying to change my course, or what is it? And those are good questions to ask. The problem is when we begin to answer our own questions. There's nothing wrong with praying to God and asking these things, but then to come to up to our, with our own conclusions when he doesn't respond to us is dangerous. We need to pray and wait for God to answer. And if he doesn't answer, we don't have to assume the worst, and we don't have to come up with an answer for ourselves. But it's okay to just say, look, I laid it before you. I've laid out my plea and my, and my plight before you, and I'm going to leave it here at your throne, Lord, because that's what you told me to do in your word. Tell me when you're ready to tell me. Don't tell me if you don't want to tell me, but I will praise you. you know? And that's the key. Remember what the test is here. Will you remove your hand from Job's life so that we can see what kind of faith he has without all the good stuff you've been giving him? Will he curse you to his face? Satan says, I bet he does. God says, I know he won't. And that's what Job's responsibility is in this whole scheme of things is to just not blow it, to not blow his witness to his friends, to not blow the witness that is obviously being observed in heaven. 
but to continue to be faithful to God as God is faithful to him. And he's been very good to do that. Naked I came into this world, naked I'm going to leave. I knew that from the beginning. Now, it does hurt. He's in a lot of pain. There's a great loss in his life. All of those children being taken from him. Um, Very difficult time for him. And I don't want to say those are the best times to just keep your mouth shut, because that sounds a little harsh. But sometimes it's the best time to just be still. I mean, that's a better way to put it, to just be still and let him speak. So verse 1, chapter 7. Is there not a time of hard service for man on earth? Are not his days also like the days of a hired man, like a servant who earnestly desires the shade, and like a hired man who eagerly looks for his wages? So I've been allotted months of futility, and wearisome nights have been appointed to me. When I lie down, I say, when shall I rise? And the night be ended. For I have had my fill of tossing till dawn. My flesh is caked with worms and dust. The skin is cracked and breaks out afresh. I'm tired of rolling around at night. I'd just rather get up and get on with my day is what he's getting at. He, he likens his days to just days of hard labor, you know. And we know from Genesis that he does, that is the fall. I mean, that's the, the result of the curse. Um, Adam and Eve choosing to be disobedient to God, that was one of Adam's responsibilities, and is the, the earth's going to produce thorns for you. And it's going to be hard, and you're going to have to till the land, and it's not going to be easy. You're not going to be able to walk around like you used to, you know. Like I planned, God said. It's going to be different now. You brought death and, and pain into this world, and so here it is. And so Job's come to the conclusion that this is my lot in life. And, and it really echoes Ecclesiastes when he says, you know, everything under the sun is, is vain. Solomon coming to the conclusion that there's just nothing worthwhile down here because he had, he, had he, had, he had probed the depths of pleasure and the, and the depths of pain and, and everything in between. He'd experienced it all. And he'd come to the conclusion that everything's vain. Nothing's worthwhile down here. And neither one of those conclusions is true. They're not true. God didn't put us on this earth just for a vain existence, for a worthless waste of time. When we come to those conclusions in our lives, I think we run into the danger of judging God. He didn't make us that way. He didn't make us for that purpose. Now, he has a purpose, and maybe it isn't fully clear to us what that purpose is, but he has. He has. And it's not for me to be invisible. It's not for me to be ineffective. It's for me to serve him wholeheartedly and to love him with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. I was created, and if you want to simplify your life in a couple words, God says you're created to worship him. So worship him. Worship him in the mundane parts of your life. Worship him in the mountaintop times of your life. Worship him in the valleys, but to worship him in every area, in every aspect of your life, but also in every season of your life, all, both of those, high, low, middle, beginning of your life, end of your life, but continue to worship him for all that he is. For, for Job to say this is to say, I've, I've, got, I've got nothing left. What a waste of time. And I can understand where he's coming from. I think we all can. If you had had raised children, grown adult children, and there they are having their own families, and you're kind of in that season of your life, kind of watching them, worried about them, praying for them, hoping the best for them, to see them wiped off, it's, it's as if, 
I don't know, I don't know how old they are, but 25 years, 30 years of your life was a waste of time. I raised those children. And they're gone, you know? What was all that for? What was that 30 years for? So I can see where he gets his conclusion, but we have the benefit of reading the end of Job, and if you've done that, and you've gone through those last four chapters, the very last chapter shows us that the best days of Job's life are ahead of him. Now, he would never think that right now. And, and it is a hard thing to comprehend. Well, I know my old kids are dead, but I've got new kids now. That doesn't make it easier that they died, for sure. But he's got a lot ahead of him. He just doesn't know it because he's experiencing time linear. He's right there in the middle of it, and he doesn't know what tomorrow's going to bring, and we don't. That's our prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. You know, it's, it's a daily walk. It's a daily worship experience with the Lord. And Job's in the middle of it, and so he's not so sure. Now, he's going to the extreme. I don't think it's going to get any better than this. What a waste of time. Looks like this is the end. Verse 6. My days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle. That's that wooden thing they spin back and forth and run the, run the string through that binds the colors together. Which is a good example because God is weaving out his life. And are spent without hope. Oh, remember that my life is a breath. My eye will never again see good. The eye of him who sees me will see me no more. While your eyes are upon me, I shall no longer be. As the cloud disappears and vanishes away, so he who goes down to the grave does not come up. He shall never return to his house, nor shall his place know him anymore. Therefore, I will not restrain my mouth. I will speak in my anguish of my spirit. I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. Am I a sea or a sea serpent that you set your guard over me? When I say my bed will comfort me, my couch will ease my complaint, then you scare me with dreams and terrify me with visions so that my soul chooses strangling and death rather than my body. He's not even getting sound sleep is the idea. Just when I think I can escape the pain of this life and, and unconsciousness, it's there that I meet even worse dreams and visions from God. Well, he thinks anyway. Things that are making my bed not a place of comfort or rest or something to look forward to, a soft pillow at the end of the day, but a place where there's a fresh hell waiting for me, you know? Many people go through that. Try to minister to them the best I can. Depression, anxiety. Sometimes people get hit harder than I... I don't understand it, why they get hit so hard. I don't understand how someone like Job continues on. And, and what I could say sitting here like Bildad or any of these guys that are sitting here with Job, I don't, I don't know what I would say either. I don't know what your future holds. I don't want to certainly give you false hope that everything's going to be great and rosy and better. And yet I don't know that it's not. I don't know why it came upon you. I'd never want to venture to say that it's your sin. I think those are pretty obvious when sin reaps or brings fruit into your life. You can kind of tell, you know, I'm in jail for a reason. It's not a hardship God's placed upon me. I'm guilty, you know. But when there's mysteries like that, when you don't know why this is happening or I didn't think this was going to come upon me and it's a surprise, I don't think we should, well, I think we should be still and go through it, to work through it. The idea that he says, I'm not going to restrain my mouth. Mm, I think we really should. 
obviously. Because what he says here, God is listening. God's not going to let this go. He's going to correct Job at the end. He says, I'm not going to restrain my mouth. Oh. Our mouths can get us in trouble. I think James was very clear on that. It's like a, a fire. It sets the world on fire. It's a flame of fire. And when I open my mouth in ignorance or I think that's what they said about me or I think that's what God thinks about me or whatever, I can get myself into big trouble. Re regretting even more than the event that took place that caused me to open my mouth, I regret what I said in the heat of the moment. Anybody have an argument like that with a spouse? Oh, boy. Why did I just keep my mouth shut? Because that's something you can't recover from. James says it's like leaving scorched earth. It burns. You, you can't recover from that. Fresh grass has to grow up from that moment on in your life when you open your mouth. The people that Job had been ministering to, these three especially, giving advice to, whether they really appreciated it or not, are now hearing things come out of his mouth that they've probably never heard before. And I don't know how much is being undone in their lives or their walk with the Lord based off of his opening his mouth and not restraining his mouth during this time of suffering. But the guys are going to put themselves in a position here. These three advisors are putting themselves in a position. Job, even, I think, is putting them in a position to answer him. When they're the ones that are supposed to be receiving from Job, they're going to begin to speak on behalf of God, to close his mouth, to restrain his lips for him. And then they're going to get in trouble because they're saying the wrong things. They're just getting awfully close to the edge of what Satan said was going to happen, that they're going to curse God to his face. So far, they haven't cursed God, but they certainly have cursed his life, his actions, the fairness of God has been challenged in a way. I think I've lived uprightly, Job says, but here I sit. There's this assumption that if I live the right kind of life, these things won't happen to me. Or at least that's what I taught beforehand, and now that I'm in the midst of it, I don't know what to think anymore. My doctrine is shaken, you know. My faith is in flux. It's better to be still. It's better to go through it. We say hindsight's twenty twenty as not biblical, but it's absolutely true. You certainly have a much clearer picture of everything that happened at the end of it as opposed to in the middle of it. That's when you do things you shouldn't do. That's when you say things you shouldn't say in the middle of it. Job's in the middle of it. Verse 16, I loathe my life. I would not live forever. Let me alone. For my days are but a breath. What is man that you, now he's speaking to God, should exalt him, that you, God, should set your heart on him, that you should visit him every morning and test him every moment? How long? Will you not look away from me and let me alone till I swallow my saliva? Have I, have, it's like I can't even catch my breath. Fiddler on the Roof, one of my all-time favorite movies and I don't know how many times I've watched it, you know. Love Tavia. Just love him. I still don't know how to pronounce the butcher's name, though. I don't Laser Wolf. I don't even know if that's right or not. But I love the movie. Is his name really Laser? That's kind of cool, actually. 
But one of the things Tavia says in the middle, he goes, I know we're the chosen people, but maybe once in a while, could you choose somebody else? And I kind of hear that with Job here. Could you look away for a minute while I swallow? Because it's just wave after wave after wave of pain and hurt and sufferings and testings. I've often struggled with the verse, um, taking every thought captive. I don't have enough nets, you know. When you're struggling with something and you're trying to take that thought captive because you know that's not from God, you know that's not God's plan for you, you know it's your flesh and all that, and then in the midst of praying, I'm going to take this thought captive. Here comes another thought, and I take that thought captive, and it's nonstop. And I don't think I'm going to win this catching thing. I feel, I feel what Job is saying here. Have I sinned? Verse 20. What have I done to you, O watcher of men? Why have you set me as your target, so that I'm a burden to myself? Why then do you not pardon my transgression and take away my iniquity? For now I will lie down in the dust, and you will seek me diligently, but I will no longer be. I understand him. So here comes Bildad. Bildad's another buddy that's been sitting there silently. And he's going to chime in. And he's about had it with Job talking like this. Then Bildad the Shuhite answered and said, How long will you speak these things? And the words of your mouth be like a strong wind. Does God subvert judgment? Or does the Almighty pervert justice? If your sons have sinned against him, he has cast them away for their transgression. Okay, that's how not to minister to somebody. So your sons are dead. They probably had it coming. Man, I understand in our zeal to make God sovereign, to make him king of the universe, to exalt him high and lifted up and worthy of all reverence and respect, and that is absolutely true. But when someone has an unclear view of God for me to come alongside, not understanding where that's coming from in their life. They haven't been like this before. Job hasn't talked like this before, but they're hearing it. And they're saying, you're just going to have to stop now because you don't know who you're talking about. Now, they're right, but they're wrong at the same time. It's the right words. It's the right thing to say. Not that the boys sinned. But the idea that you don't understand what God's doing, therefore you're speaking in ignorance, that's true. But sometimes people have to work these things out. And God has broad shoulders. I don't have to defend him. I, I will proclaim him. And I will represent him, and I will talk about him for who he is, from what I know from his word. I think we should do that. But I also know that people need to work things out. And if they need to beat their chest before the Lord, beat their chest before the Lord. God's got broad shoulders. He can take it. He can listen to us kind of complain and whine and work it out, and he'll correct us. But for us to come along and speak on behalf of God, I think, is a, is, is a very dangerous thing. I can speak God's word on behalf of God. But he wants me to speak psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. He wants me to bring comfort. I'm to bring the Holy Spirit, the helper, when I come to someone's life. I'm supposed to bring salve, ointment, something that's going to help the wound, not tear it apart or make it worse or put salt in it. 
yeah, we're supposed to be salt on this earth, but that's not what he means. The salt is to preserve for sure, and it keeps bacteria or sin at bay. We do want to do that, but salt also brings flavor and life and brightens. And then we're to do that. We're light and salt. Don't forget the light part. So he says, your kids probably died because they had it coming. He doesn't do these sort of things. He doesn't bring judgment, and that's Bildad's mistake. He's assuming this is judgment. People die for all sorts of reasons in this world. It's hard to understand. I mean, it isn't. It's, a very, it's very simple to understand why people die in this world, but it's hard to accept a lot of times why people die in this world. Maybe that's a better way to put it. Some people die a long, agonizing death. I can't stand that. I mean, who can? I, that's probably a foolish thing to say. Well, I can deal with it. Nobody can deal with it. It's horrible. And some people die just really quickly. I don't know why that is. I don't know the difference. I don't understand those things. I certainly don't want to accuse God of doing anything wrong. I know why death came. I have nowhere to look but in the mirror. That's why death's on this earth right now. It's us. We do it. We bring it. We brought the pain and suffering. We brought all those things. So I I take credit. But as Bildad begins to try to give out his wisdom, he makes a mistake into blaming, and this is what judgment looks like. When you said, when the scriptures say, thou shalt not judge, this is what that looks like. I don't know what your sons did, but because they've died, my judgment is they must be being judged by God for the sins that they committed that were hidden from everybody else. That's, you, thou shalt not judge. You're not supposed to judge people, okay? Don't. Judges coming to a conclusion and, and laying before them a sentence, and, and he's done that here. It's a mistake, and God will correct him. If you would earnestly seek God, which implies he's not, and make your supplication to the Almighty, if you were pure and upright, surely now he would awake for you. So God's sleeping. And prosper your rightful dwelling place. Though your beginning was small, yet latter end would increase abundantly. If you just pray right, if you just plead, if you just... Well, he's partly right there. His latter days are going to be better, but he doesn't know that. I'm not going to give him credit for it. I don't like the guy. I mean, I don't. Nobody asked these guys to show up. Job didn't send messengers, hey, could somebody come and comfort me? These guys took it upon themselves to come sit with Job, right? And this is what they're bringing to him. Be careful about inserting ourselves into other people's lives. If you're going to come and you're going to insert yourself into their life, make sure you know what God has for you to do for them. Don't just insert because you're a know-it-all or insert because you're a biblical genius or whatever it is. Insert yourself if God calls you to do that, fills you with the Holy Spirit, has taught you to get the plank out of your own eye first, then you can come and help somebody with the speck in their eye or help them through what it is that they're going through. Some of the things that our church is going through is probably just that. I'm not saying I know it all because I don't. Some of the suffering and the pain that you guys are going through, maybe, maybe 
used to help other people later on. And I hope you go through it well. I hope you don't go through it like Bildad, coming to conclusions that you shouldn't come to. I hope you go through it better than Job does here, as Job gets close to accusing God, which we're not in the position to do. But going through it, learning everything you can from it, being humbled by it. Some of the best moments I've ever had with God is when he says, I'm going to do something and I'm not going to tell you why. That's a struggle for me. Always has been. In the Marine Corps, I was a miserable Marine. I knew, be- I knew, I knew more than everybody around me. I just did. And I didn't. But I did, you know. And these guys that come up and say, you're going to do this now, you're going to do that. I'm like, why? Well, you don't say that. <laughs> you just go do it. But I, and I go do it. But the whole time, you know, this is this is ridiculous. And I knew that what we're doing is going to have to be undone later on. And we're going to have to do it the right way over here. And the fact that we're doing this is because they don't know what to do with us today. So they got us digging a hole. And they know there's no purpose for the hole. We're just digging a hole because they don't know what to do with us today. They're tired of watching us and babysitting us. So they're giving us hard labor. I know we're going to fill this hole back in. I knew this was all going on in my head. Drove me crazy. Hated it. Hated that part of the, the gig. And I did not keep my mouth shut a lot of times. Okay, we're going to fill that hole in. I knew we were going to fill this hole in. Settle down. Some of the greatest learning times I've ever had with the Lord is when he does something and he doesn't tell me what he's doing and I have to learn what I didn't learn from man in the Marine Corps because I got out with that same attitude. I never learned it. I've learned it in ministry. I don't know why you're doing what you're doing. but I know who you are and you're definitely not like the sergeant that I knew before. What a bonehead he was. I know you're not that. And so I fall back, and I learn to fall back on what I don't know, back to what I do know, and I know about God, and it helps me so much in what I'm going through or what people are going through. It's like, I don't know why or who or what. or I don't know hardly anything. I do know God, though, from what he tells me and from what I've experienced. He's amazing. And I know the best thing we can do right now is to worship him, to worship him. Sometimes when I'm confused or I'm sad or I'm depressed or I don't, I don't know what the right word is, I just don't have what I want, I'm not on cloud nine, I just begin to praise him for who he is. I, I take my own advice. I teach you guys when you read Psalms, just start doing what David does. You begin to praise God for what you do know about him, not for what you don't. I stop questioning him. I just start praising him for what I do. By the time I'm done, I'm like, I don't know what I'm worried about. God would prosper you. He'd wake up for you if you just earnestly seek him. I think he is. Verse 8, for inquire, please, of the former age, and consider the things discovered by their fathers. For we were born yesterday and know nothing, because our days on earth are a shadow. Will they not teach you and tell you and utter words from their heart? Can the papyrus grow up without a marsh? Can the reeds flourish without water? While it is yet green and not cut down, it withers before any other plant. So are the paths of all who forget God, and the hope of the hypocrite shall perish. Just call them a hypocrite. Whose confidence shall be cut off, whose trust is a spider's web, 
He leans on his house, but it does not stand. Another allusion or alluding to the fact that the house collapsed on top of the children. He holds it fast, but it does not endure. He grows green in the sun, and his branches spread out in his garden. His roots wrap around the rock heap and look for a place in the stones. If he destroy, if he's destroyed from his place, then it will deny him, saying, I have not seen you. Behold, this is the joy of his way, God's way. And out of the earth, others will grow. I don't want to go, I don't want to finish there. We've got to stop here for a minute and kind of answer these things. First of all, he's making ridiculous. I think that's one of the things that drives me crazy is when people, you know, God's like this. There's enough metaphors in here that we don't have to start making up our own ones. You know, God's brown like these chairs. What? It's just dumb. No, he's not. I mean, and I'm okay. To, I don't, it's okay to call people on that. The drama that they like to bring into their work. God is like the chairs. No, he's not like the chairs at all. He's like the sun. He's like the moon. He's like all the things he describes himself, but he's definitely not like the brown chairs in our church, you know? And that's what this guy's doing. It's like when you grow up and it's like the marshy reeds and you can just all see, I'm waxing poetic now as I point over there and Job's over here with boils from head to toe. Your, your faith's like a spider's web. Good one, you know. The strength, you know, there's no strength, no, no substance to it. It's there, but it's not. You know, your faith is like that, Job. No, it's not. That's not accurate, Bildad. Job hasn't cursed God yet, and God is recognizing that. Now, God's not exactly happy with what Job's saying, but he also is saying, Bildad, you don't know what you're talking about. You, you know, and he doesn't say this, but Bildad, if I'd have done this to you, you'd be worshiping Satan by now, you know. But not my servant Job. He hasn't. He's talking about how things wither away and how things die, and that's just God's good pleasure. That's what bothers me the most about that section. Behold, this is the joy of his way. The joy of God is to do these things to us, to let us grow up and have hope and then to fall. They're all under the assumption that after you die, like Job said just a few minutes ago, we just nothing happens to us, we, just don't, we don't get back up again, which is probably maybe where the Sadducees got their doctrine from, that there is no afterlife reading stuff like this. We can get weird doctrine. We get soul sleep from this book of Job. There's no such thing as soul sleeping. But we get that from the book of Job because these guys are speaking in ignorance. We can get the fact that there is no afterlife. Like the like part of the Sanhedrin, the Sadducee side, didn't believe in the everlasting. They didn't believe in the miraculous. And they're all saying, this is just the way it is. We just grow up, we flourish, then we die, and somebody else comes in our place, and that's just God's joy. It's his good pleasure. It's his sovereignty, you know. And he's wrong. All these things have a purpose and a, and a reason for our lives. They make us better. They make us stronger. We're, we're told in the New Testament all the wonderful truths that we needed, and these guys definitely needed, is that we're in a refining fire to bring out God in us, to bring out that not, not that we become God, don't misunderstand me, but that we bring out the best us that we're conformed into his image. And it removes the, the impurities from our life by bringing up the heat and sometimes making us boil a little bit and get that stuff to the top so you can scrape it off and you look a little bit more like God every time that happens in our life. There's a reason for these things. There's a purpose. And I can take solace in that. We all can. At the end of this, I'm going to be better. He 
He doesn't do this just because he's bored. He's not like those other gods that just feels like he needs to entertain himself by playing with his play things down here in the terrarium, you know, picking on them. We get better. Behold, God will not cast away the blameless, nor will he uphold the evildoer. He will yet fill your mouth with laughing and your lips with rejoicing. Those who hate you will be clothed with shame and the dwelling place of the wicked will come to nothing. Now, where did that come from? You know? That's right. From what we understand about the story, he's exactly right. All of his haters are, he, Bildad just doesn't know he's one of the haters, I guess. But they're going to come to nothing, and they're going to be ashamed at what they've said. God's going to silence them in the last four chapters of this book. And God is going to fill him with laughter. He is going to bring him back up. It's almost like he's accidentally prophetic, you know, accidentally. And that's where we close today. I'm sorry that you're going through what all you guys are going through. I really am. And some of the things you haven't publicly shared, I know. I mean, I don't know, but I, we're praying for you, you know. We're praying for you to, we're not praying for you to get out of it, honestly. We are praying for you to go through it well as believers. We're praying for you to keep your head up and to keep worshiping the Lord. And so if there's any application from this today, um, since I did study Acts 10, on the spot, I would say, worship God this week. I know that you do, but I mean, like, take the time and set it apart on times that you don't normally do it and worship God in your car. Worship God before you lay down. Worship God before you get up. Spend time worshiping the Lord for who he is, for what he is, for all that he's done. Not for what he's doing or for what's happening in your life right now, but praise him for past. Praise him for the future that he has for you. If you need to go all the way to eternity and think about the place that he's prepared for you, go there in your worship. I do know that he's going to make you better. I don't know how, and I don't know how it's going to come about, but go through it well. That's my prayer for you. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Job's suffering. We thank you for our suffering. To give thanks in all things is, is easy when you read it until you're going through all things. And so today we want to, we're going to say it because we know that you have our best interests at heart. We thank you for the sufferings that we've gone through or going through or will go through. We thank you for that. We thank you that there's a purpose and that we know that you're a helper and that you're a God who loves us and sets your love upon us. And you've, you know, that you know, our days, you know, the hairs, the number of hairs on our head, you know, our future. And that's why you've come is to give us a future and a hope. And so we praise you this morning for all that you are. We praise you for the little kids. We're going to be able to bless through operation Christmas child. We praise you for the freedom to be able to stand out at the courthouse today to speak up on behalf of those that can't speak up, to save and help as many women as we can understand the miracle and the beauty of life. And also the men that struggle to understand their place in that whole scheme of things, what they're supposed to do, how they're supposed to support. But they'd know that they'd have an encounter with you. Thank you for that, Lord. 
Thank you for the healing that, you take, that takes place in our lives, Lord. Every time we do something like this, people get healed. Closer to you, old wounds are sealed up, scabbed over, and begin to heal properly. We thank you for that. We praise you for that. So we, we pray that you keep us. Help us not to open our lips when we don't know what we're talking about. Help us to praise you, to worship you, and to be still and know that you're God. And to know that how much you love us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you need prayer before you go, please come up. Be glad to pray with you. Otherwise, have a good rest of the week.